you smuggled him in? Yeah. <laughs> in some in some in some lines of um duty they would call it trafficking. I'm calling it smuggling. <laughs> Welcome to episode 79 of A Sideways Life Podcast, the honest guide to living and working abroad. I'm Leanne. And I'm Al. And here we are again. Yes, yet again on a Thursday, beautiful Thursday night in Malaga. Coming in your ears. (laughs) (laughs) So you know the drill by now. This is the honest guide to working, living abroad. We have a lot of questions about people who want to live and work abroad in Spain. Well, yes, Spain is is a popular tourist destination a tricky expat stroke nomad destination but that could all be a changing yeah so basically we heard about um, maybe about three four weeks ago about a proposed digital nomad visa for spain now that's one of the there's a few digital nomad visas in europe do you remember them all oh croatia mm. estonia greece kind of um Germany. Germany, Portugal. Portugal. I think Portugal's the most famous, particularly amongst our audience of North Americans and Australians. They'll heard of the Portuguese one. Mm-hmm. Um, and But Spain is supposedly bringing in their own. Now, in typical Spanish style, it's, it's arriving mañana. Um, <laughs> sometime, it's supposed to be after Christmas, but it'll probably be next summer, won't it? Mm-hmm. Um, but nobody really knows much about it. However, we found one lady who... We think if anyone's going to guess what it looks like, then she's the right person. And her name is Jessica Baker. She's got a company called Decipher Spain. And she essentially does visas for anyone who wants to live in Spain. She, she talks through all the different kinds of visas. Um, and uh, she, we've asked her basically the question, what do you think this digital nomad visa is going to look like? Which is a good question. And I think as, as you'll probably hear as we go through, there are lots of maybe this, maybe that, probably this, possibly this. Until they release all the details, we will not know for sure. But what we can share with you is what we do know so far and what is likely to happen. Exactly. So I interviewed her um, last week. And um, unfortunately, my audio is a little bit quiet in this. So I apologize. I've tried to edit it as much as I can in the in my little garage band, but I'm not a professional producer. Um, I'm no Quincy Jones, so I don't really know exactly how we uh, how it all works. Um, but basically, we've tried. So you'll hear her talk all about um, the. At the moment, I think there are six different types of of visa. There might be five. I can't remember exactly. Um, of which you can disregard probably the average person can disregard most of them apart from one. What was interesting though is the student one. Now I thought with a student visa you couldn't work, but you can. Interesting. Mm. But it's not a back-to-back visa. It's not guaranteed, and also you have to be—you still have to be studying, and it possibly even the same course. But Jessica will explain more about that. Um, so um, I think also one of the things you might have heard at the very beginning of the episode—her um, <laughs> that's about her smuggling her husband into Europe. And I did say, is it okay to publish this? And she said, yes, yeah, he's here now. They can't take him out. <laughs> um, but it's a really funny story, so you'll hear that maybe about sort of three or four minutes in. Um, if you have any questions about this, don't come to us. We're not the experts. Jessica's the expert. Just go to decipherspain.com or you can find her on Instagram, decipher underscore, underscore that's difficult to say after a gin, decipher underscore Spain. Um, and she's on all the socials. You just search basically for her and you'll find her and there's loads of links from the website. Yeah, and she's brilliantly active as well on Instagram, posting lots of videos and posts and whatnot. So a good account to follow if you do have your little eye on Spain. 
Absolutely. And just to, just to reassure you, on her website, she says, I'm a woman with a plan for absolutely everything, but crucially very adaptable to circumstances. So there you go. This is We're actually using her to talk to her. Well, we'll talk a bit about the end of our, yeah. our, our yeah. story. But should we just get cracking and speak to her uh, and speak Jessica? Let's do it. So I'm so excited to talk to Jessica Baker from Deciphering Spain. Um, one of the, it was quite a strange um, scenario where we met Jessica because there was there's a co-working space in Malaga called the Living Room. It's fam- fabulous. I'm sure we'll ask Jessica about that later. Spoke to them. They said you need to sp- if you want to speak to someone about visas, you need to speak to Jessica because she knows absolutely everything. So rather than me tell you all about Jessica, let's meet Jessica. Hello, Jessica. Hello. How are you? Okay, thank, thank you for having you. me. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're really busy. I think the um, before we get on to the actual nitty gritty of visas, and I am going to ask you a very strange question about the proposed digital nomad visa, which okay. nobody seems to know what it's about, but I think you're going to be best place to to predict what it might be. We, we can try. Exactly. I want to hear your story. So how did you end up in Spain and um, where do you live and how do you start your business? Okay, so I initially moved to Spain in 2008. When I was 20 years of age, I was in my second year of university, well, just finished my second year of university where I was studying political science and Spanish language and literature. And I'd spent a lot of time in the bar, we'll say, and didn't really know a lot of Spanish. So I thought, okay, Jess, come on, get your shit together. Um, If you're going to actually pass your exams next year, you're going to have to learn Spanish. So I looked into all the options, Erasmus, studying abroad, et cetera, et cetera. And my, I went to speak to my professor and he said, I mean, if you really want to learn Spanish, Erasmus really isn't the way to go. It is a lot of fun, but you'll be in a university dorm with a load of international people. They'll all speak English. That's not going to be the way. If you really want to use this year to learn Spanish, what you need to do is join the program, um, language assistant program, which they call the Auxiliares de Conversación. So you apply for this program. It's nine months long, as as long as a school year is. They pay you every month, um, I think 700 euros or 900 euros or something. You work 11 hours a week, but you can't decide where you're going. So I applied. I was accepted. And I was sent to a very small town in Castilla-La Mancha, which is in central Spain, called Alcázar de San Juan. 29,000 people, and I was the only English speaker. I learned the language very quickly. And I i mean, I remember when I got my placement letter and my mum said, well, if you hate it, you can come home. And that's very much my philosophy for what I do now. If you hate it, you can go home. And I didn't hate it. I absolutely loved it. And I stayed there for, for my initial year. Then I went home, finished my degree as fast as I could. And I ran straight back and I stayed for another four. Then after that, I kind of thought, well, teaching's not really my thing. Um, I'm not I'm not really a vocational teacher. It was fine. But I thought, okay, I'm going to need some more options and opportunities. And rural central Spain is probably not the place for that as a 24-year-old. So I decided I would just go home and very quickly started a job in the Argentine embassy in Dublin as PA to the ambassador. So I was surrounded by visas and consular affairs and diplomatic affairs. And it was an experience. And after four years there, I seem to be a bit of a four-year girl, but after four years there, I thought, I'm commuting three hours a day, an hour and a half in the morning, an hour and a half in the evening. My salary, it's not going to give me what I want to have. And the lifestyle in Dublin isn't exactly what I'm looking for. So I made a plan to come back and I just got very specific about where I wanted to be the 
opportunities and options that I wanted to have when I got here. Um, and I landed on Malaga. Whether property prices at the time, that's changed. Um, job opportunities for bilingual people. There's a lot of international companies here, Accenture, Booking.com, um, lots, lots of different ones. And that was how I happened on Malaga. And I've been here ever since. Uh, yes. Now, I'm reading on your website that when you start, well, one of the reasons why you started Deciphering Spain was be, was the complication of getting a visa for Mauricio. I got that story right. You did, absolutely. I um, I came to Malaga having having worked for four years in an embassy. So I knew the, I knew more or less the concept of how getting a visa between an EU, non-EU spouse would go, which was actually why we decided to get married because we'd only known each other for five minutes. But I said, right, we'll get married. It's very easy to get unmarried if you need to. So we'll just give this a go. Luckily, six years later, we're still going strong. So that's good. <laughs> um, so I had read all of the things. I'd I'd gone through all the websites, looked at Facebook, all the things. And I was fairly confident that I had it down. So our main error um, was that we decided to do things right what I would say to do things right. And I came to Spain, got myself set up with a job very quickly, um, an apartment, and we did the application from his home country, which is in theory the way you are supposed to do these things, rather than us applying for a tourist visa for him and then um, doing the application from Spain. So I decided we'd do things kind of in theory, technically the right way. And they would not grant that visa. They took, I mean, every possible excuse to say, sorry, no visa. Um, so there was about, I'd say about three applications in eight months before I said, you know what? We're going to, we're going to do it a different way. But I don't know if you want to know how I did it. I mean, are you allowed to share that secret? I mean, he's already here, so I suppose so. Can we, um, so before you do that, so is this is this the story of how you did it or is this the advice you would give someone who comes from outside? I would definitely not encourage anybody to do this. Disclaimer, nobody do this. Okay, well, let's hear it. I went to see a lawyer um, who I still work with today because he's absolutely brilliant. Anyone who comes to me that has any complicated visa issue or complicated residency issue, the first thing we do is we go and we see Jorge. Um, I explained to him that I had all my finances in order. I had my housing in order. We had our marriage in order. Everything was right. And he looked at everything and he said, they should have granted this, but there are a lot of consulates that have, we'll say, an unofficial quota on how many visas they can give out. And they're not going to give you this visa. He said, but if you can get him here, if you can have him sitting in my office, I promise you'll fix it in four weeks. And I said, but how am I going to get him here? They won't even give him a tourist visa at this stage. He said, yes, I can't. <laughs> That's... That's not my remit. I can't tell you how to do it. But I promise you, if you can get him sitting in this seat, I will fix it for you in four weeks. So I did what any 28-year-old would do. I phoned my mom. <laughs> and I said, mom, this is what we've got. And she said, okay, leave it with me. I'll have a think. And now she always does say that there's a lot you can do with creativity and a little bit of money. And um, our solution was to rent a yacht. We just I heard that right. You said to rent a yacht. Yeah, we rented a yacht skipperless from France to Ireland. My brother and my cousin and my mother sailed it from France to Ireland. Mauricio and I flew into Dublin, met there, and we sailed him to Europe. So you smuggled him in? Yeah. 
<laughs> in some in some in some lines of um duty they would call it trafficking. I'm calling it smuggling. That's amazing. And then we got a blah blah car from France down to the Spanish border. And once he was in, he was in. That's it. They can't put him out. That's one thing I always say to people who say, Well, I've overstayed, but I want to, you know, I'm I'm in a process. Once you're in, you're in. They're not going to throw you out. It costs a lot of money to throw you out. As long as you're in a process, it can be fixed. Um, so let's go slightly less people trafficking route. Yeah. Um, and let's talk about, so someone's listening, and um, a lot of our listeners are in North America, um, uh, which is obviously outside the EU, as sadly as the UK, but that's a different story for a different day. Um, yeah. So someone's sitting there listening to this, they're in America, and they go, yes, I would like to live in Spain, How? but I don't have a clue whether I should go for a visa, do I need a visa? How long can I stay without a visa? Could you maybe talk through as if I was that North American asking these questions and wanted to come to Spain? Yes. So I would say, first of all, it's really important to look at your age group. If you're someone who is retired or thinking about pre-retiring, we'll say, um, you have the option of the non-lucrative visa. But you have to I say look at your age group because, of course, there are people who are in their 30s and their 40s who have plenty of money in the bank. I mean, the non-lucrative visa is all about having money in the bank and promising that you won't work. But it's the promising that you won't work that I always bring to people's attention and say, right, you're 35, you've made a load of money. I think that's brilliant. I think that's fine. But will you get bored? How how often is it going to take for paddleboarding to get old? Um, you know, How old is it going to take for you to have seen every city in the country? And you're going to have to renew that visa. So if you go mad and spend all your money the first year, you're not going to be able to renew that non-lucrative visa. So the non-lucrative visa is great if you're of a certain age, in my opinion. Apart from that, you have student visas, which I think are wildly, wildly underrated. Um, people think of students that are like in their teens or in their 20s. Not necessarily. I have clients that have come to Spain on a student visa. They've stayed for up to two, three years because you can kind of keep renewing it if, you, if you're still in education. And by education, I usually mean in a Spanish school. So it's a minimum of 20 hours a week or is it maximum? I, I don't know. It's generally about 20 hours a week um, that you're expected to be in class. And then the rest of the time, enjoy it. You can even work. You can apply to work during that time. So I think it's a wildly underrated visa. And I do kind of try to encourage people especially younger people away from the non-lucrative visa and into the student visa. Because the other thing is you can give up work and decide you're going on this non-lucrative visa, get here and think, I freaking hate this place. This is horrendous. <laughs> Not everybody loves Spain. Not everybody adapts well. Not everybody loves the heat of the South um, or the coldness the slight coldness, we'll say, of the people of the North. You know, some people just really don't adapt to it. And that's okay. But don't put all your eggs in one basket. That all makes perfect sense. So you've just mentioned there are two visas, non the non-lucrative yeah. um, mm -hmm. and the student visa. Um, yeah. Now, what about for the majority of people sort of, I mean, I'm, I know I'm a bit older than you, but sort of in our age bracket who perhaps are freelancers or have a small consultancy or something, that doesn't sound like either one of those two is going to be the right thing. So is I mean, you can you can you can make that work with the with the student visa quite easily as long as you're a freelancer. So, yeah, you can definitely do that. You can't do that on the non-lucrative visa. You cannot go into a consulate and say, I don't work, but actually you are working. They will. They'll find you. Exactly. I mean, and then I know we were going to discuss this um, potential or possible digital nomad visa down the line that 
may or may not appear in early 2023. <laughs> um, and it's looking like it would be a good option for people who do either have a consultancy or are even just allowed to work abroad. Because what I've seen from, say, EU people is that a lot of their offices just never went back. So they've said, well, you know, why work from home in a grey dock in London or, or Dublin or Germany when I can do that from Malaga? So then you also have to remember that there's a lot of non-EU people that are married to EU people. And there's also a lot of non-EU people, and I'm going to say in the in Great Britain, who are married to people who have access to an EU passport because their parents have been Irish, their grandparents have been Irish and and Ireland are good about, you know, giving out passports to those who are entitled to them. It might take some time, but they do give them out. So someone's listening to this, they might go, wait a minute, what do you mean? They are sitting in Australia and their grandparents were Irish. Does that mean that they can go for an Irish passport and then have EU like rights? They can. It takes time. Um, there is a there is quite a, a, a long process behind it. But I mean, when I say it takes time, it might take two years. You know, in the grand scheme of things, it's not that long but yeah you can you can if you're a child or a grandchild of an Irish citizen you are you're entitled to a passport I'm hoping that there's going to be at least 20 people who've listened to this episode and go what and mm-hmm. then realize there's something like and sometimes they haven't even noticed because a lot of Irish people especially when they move to when they move to the UK or they moved abroad they kind of were so eager to fit in not be bullied by you lot um that they kind of just not gave up their Irishness, but didn't really refer to it. There's a lot of people that I've spoken to who thought, well, I'm going to go and speak to my mom because, you know, grandma did actually have a funny accent. And suddenly, yeah, no, she was Irish. She just didn't really talk about it very much. Um, if you are, are currently a freelancer and you work for yourself, and I'll talk about if you work for your own company in a second. Um, but at the moment, there is, am I right in thinking, there's just two options, which is the non-lucrative, which is not an option if you're working, and then the not student. There, is there a third option for someone like if imagine they wanted to pay autonomo or something? I mean, how does is that an option or? So there's an investor's visa and there's a self-employed visa. Um, the self-employed visa, you have to apply from your country of origin. Right. You have to have a watertight business plan. And like I don't mean like if you're an online English teacher, they're going to be like, nah, it, this needs to be something that's innovative, something that's usually something that's techie. Mm-hmm. Um, something that is really going to bring value to the Spanish economy, something that could potentially um, create employment for not necessarily Spanish people, but Spanish residents. Um, so, I mean, I talk to people all the time. They say, well, I'm a hairdresser. Now, there's literally 10 hairdressers within a hundred meter radius of my house. That's not going to cut it. This has to be something that is kind of cutting edge and that they look at your business plan and go, that's interesting. Yeah, this is your self-employed visa. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, just, so just you have to just prove that you're really, really niche. And then it'll kind of depend on the on the embassy um, who's reading it, because it can all be very subjective. Of course. You know, whatever consul's reading it can go, no, not into that. Sorry. Okay. So that is the self-employed visa, which is really important point you said at the beginning, I think, was that you have to apply for that before you land in Spain. Yes. Okay. All of your visas you will have to apply for before you land in Spain. The only exception to that is if you're married to an EU citizen or the six-month student visa, which is fine, but it is six months. You can renew it for a further six months as long as you're in the same program. You know, maybe the, right. you, you, you don't pass your exams or whatever. So it's, this, it's the same school, the same program. 
Um, but it's not great as a long-term issue. It's not great as a long-term visa. It, it's, I speak to people who say, I just want to get there and do it. Yeah, but you're not thinking down the line in six months' time and you go, oh, that went quickly. So can you talk us through the investor visa then? Is that apl- applicable to anyone, do you think? I mean, if you've got... If you've got kind of two million euros or yeah, you can invest that in kind of stocks, shares, and it's literally what it is. It's an investor visa, but it's it's high level investment. The only other one that isn't a bad visa, um, and it's great for people who say bought a property maybe 10 years ago, are selling it now and have made a massive profit on it. And that's the what they call the golden visa. That's where you invest 500,000 euros in property. It doesn't have to be in the same house. People think it has to be one house. It doesn't. Um, it has to be the in property, 500,000 euros, no mortgage. Um, and then you are entitled to work, live, travel fairly permanently. But I mean, yeah, so that's, if you have, I would reckon that if you have the million or the 2 million for the investment, just buy the property. So what's interesting is we've been looking at the Portuguese golden visa. Um, and uh, and 500,000 is a bit rich for us, but they did. it does drop a little bit if you go into rural areas, and it drops even more if you buy a property that needs refurb. So it can be down to 250,000 euros, yeah. which is a little bit more manageable. Is there a similar kind of thing in Spain? No. 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 Literally 500,000. 500, and then you, you have buy to... buy five houses at 100,000 if you wanted to. You could do that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the only thing that you do have to keep in mind, and people forget about it, but I'm here to remind them, um, when you buy property in Spain, you're looking at anywhere between 12 and 18% taxes and costs and, and different things. So if you have your 500,000 to invest in property, make sure you have your almost 80, 70 or 80 to cover the costs of that. So let's switch over to this um, proposed visa. So um, based on all your experience, your amazing knowledge of this, what would you expect this visa to look like? And just add the caveat for anyone listening, this is not what it's going to look like. This is what an expert thinks it's going to look like. Okay, so I think that this is going to be really, really good for who it's meant for. And that is digital nomads, people that want to work for themselves or work for somebody else, because this is going to apply as long as less than 20% of your income is coming from Spanish, a Spanish entity, then this visa can apply to you. Um, I don't think it'll be great long, long term um, in the sense that I think that they will ensure a caveat to make sure that people can't renew it so many times that they suddenly have permanent residency. It'll be great for a year, two years, three years. And then after that, you're going to have to make a life plan on whether or not you want to stay in Spain or whether you want to move and all of those things. By the time that happens, you might have met the Spanish person of your dreams to marry or any other EU nationality. Um, you may have a job offer. You know, there's lots of there's lots of things that that can change. But keep in mind that long term, this visa may not be um, your life plan. That's really, really interesting, because in Portugal, the D7 visa is a route to residency. And so what we're saying, I don't think is- they're going to do that here. No. Okay, that's really interesting. I've heard band- banded around that there might be a non-residence tax rate of about 15%. I mean, is that, what have yeah. you heard about that? Yeah, I've absolutely heard that. And I think that they will do that because what they're going to try and do is get people in. You know, they're, they're going to want people to come for the year, for the two years to, to pay some tax. At the moment, there are so many people living for three months working and not paying a cent that 15% is better than nothing. 
So yeah, I think they will stick to the to the fifteen percent. I think I read that it was going to be up to an income of six hundred thousand. Okay. So what happens after that? I don't know. But, but again, if you have that kind of an income, you can potentially buy the property to give yourself the the permanent residency. Okay, so I mean, what we're talking about here is I've just written these down, and and I'll, I'll um, obviously if you want more information on this, you need to speak to Jessica. Go on her website; it's fantastic. Um, you, I think you're on Instagram as well. You've got a podcast. I'll yeah. all those I'm on Instagram. You can watch me being very glamorous every single morning, doing my my Instagram stories as I walk my dog on the beach. <laughs> Um, so um, we've talked about the non-lucrative visa where you can't work. We've talked about the student visa where you have to study for 20 hours a week. We've talked about the self-employed visa, which you have to apply for before you come here, as most of these are. Um, and it's very, very specific. We've talked about the golden visa um, where you have to buy property of 500000 plus you've got sort of 20% worth of taxes and um, agent costs. And then the final one was the investment visa, which is $2 million or plus. So those, am I right in thinking those are the only sort of six options unless this digital nomad comes out of getting of living in Spain long term, longer term. Yeah, at the moment they're the only ones that I've come across. Now, the the only except for, for example, if you're sponsored for a job. Okay. If you're sponsored for a job. Now, this is a tricky one. Like people come to me all the time saying, "Can I move if I'm sponsored for a job?" You can, but you again, you'd want to be very niche because. And the company that you're working for is going to want to be very willing to that you are the person to have on board. And the reason is because your your employer is going to have to apply for the visa on your behalf. Mm-hmm. Um, it's expensive for them. And they have to be able to prove that there is no other either EU citizen or Spanish person that can do that job. So, I mean, we're talking astronomers, you know, this isn't, again, this isn't hairdressing. And, oh, but if I, if I speak English while I hairdress, nah, it's not going to, it's not going to cut it. Um, there are cases of, you know, there are cases of visas being sponsored. A lot of the time, the Spanish companies will just go for someone who's already here because they do not want to get involved in the admin. Sometimes they will sponsor somebody. And a lot of the time that comes from, say, say at the moment I have a client who is moving from India to Madrid because the company that he's in is kind of a multinational. They have an office in both in both cities. So that's where like a, um, what would you call it? A, a transfer can come in. And because they already have a certain level of, of um, confidence in the employee and trust in them and everything they're willing to make the investment. I mean, we were we were looking for the self-employed route when we were here um, previously, 2016, and there was something called, I think it's called Autonomo, mm-hmm. which is about, which at the time was about 250 euros per person um, per month, whether you made any money or not. Yeah, that's your social security payment. So at the moment I pay about 300. Uh, my husband pays a little bit more because he's been, so it's, it's, it's on a sliding scale. So you start your first year, depending on your age and your and your industry for your first year they give you a reduced rate of about 70 euros then after year one that starts to slowly go up and that is whether you make money or not because it's not it's not a tax it's your social security payment and so it's what you're paying in for your health for your retirement for i don't know whatever it is they do with it what's confusing is that one of the one of the speculations no sorry one of the things we had to do um, for to get our residency here was to have private med- uh, medical insurance, mm-hmm. private health insurance. So 
I would be asking them, well, why am I giving you 250 euros a month if I have to also spend another 150 on private insurance? No, if you're going to become resident, I mean, pre when you were living here pre previously as an EU citizen, there are EU citizens that come to me and they say, I want to work in Spain because I see my life here and I want to be able to go down the route of a mortgage in a couple of years time or whatever. And I'll say, right, register as self-employed, pay all your taxes, pay your social security. You don't need to pay for private health in that sense, in that case, because you're already paying into the public system. The private health only crops up when you're not paying into the public system. So you have to have a private health policy that will cover you just as, give you as high coverage as the public, the public system. But then there are people like me who I just don't want to have to go to a public hospital. So I'd rather have a private hospital. <laughs> So um, I, I realise that we've basically bled you dry for information and, and I, I, don't wanna, you know, I, I don't want to take the mickey. So uh, if people are interested in moving to Spain, then, I mean, we've only just met, but already I've learned so much from you and we are thinking of moving to Spain. So we'll definitely be talking to you, Jessica. How are, the, how are people going to get in touch with us? The best way to get in touch with you? Okay, so what people can do is they can contact me. Um, I think there's a WhatsApp button on my on my Facebook page, which is Decipher Spain. And through my website, they can book a call. So I have two types of calls that you can book. One day a week, I offer my time for free, 15 minute slots. Um, people tend to think that this is for them to find out everything about moving to Spain. I tend to think of it as me vetting people to work out who I want to work with and who I don't because um, relocation is a long, it's a long process. And if we don't get on, it's no one's going to be happy. Um, so I offer my time for 15 minutes, one day a week to this week. It is actually today, I think, because I was away on Monday, but generally speaking, it's on a Monday. So you can choose the 15 minute call option. Um, it'll just be a short chat about your needs, what you're, what you're thinking of doing. And then, yeah, we can have a short chat. Then I also have a 45 minute option, which is a lot more in-depth. Um, it's a paid option. We, you'll send me all of your questions, queries, worries ahead of time. I'll prepare all the answers. We'll go through, I, I'll always play devil's advocate and say, right, if, the, if you go for this visa, what happens in this, this situation? You know, I'll make you think a little bit. Um, and then I'll send you a written report that you can keep because sometimes I get people who say, well, I'm thinking of moving in a year's time, but I want to find out what's going on. So I'll send you that written report so that you can keep it, refer back to it, make notes about it. Um, and yeah, so you can get me via my website. You can get me on Facebook. Uh, you can get me on Instagram. And um, that's it. Well, she was pretty amazing, wasn't she? Mm -hmm. She clearly knows her stuff. And what I really like about it is that she's not like some stuffy lawyer who goes under Article 65A of the <laughs> particles of so-and-so. It's like she will tell you, no, no, you can't do this or you can do that. And I quite like that. She's certainly someone you want to have in, on your team in a crisis, isn't she? 100%. Mm -hmm. Love that story about her husband. Um, and uh, <laughs> I really hope it is okay to publish it. Well, I guess we'll find out from Jessica. <laughs> if you need to take anything down, Jessica, just let us know. It's not a problem. Just follow, You follow her on Instagram, don't you? Just make yeah. sure if you see a picture of, of her at a police station, then <laughs> we're just going to be feel terrible. Anyway, so... Um, you, I think you know how to get, look in the show notes, you'll see how to get hold of Jessica. Um, we've referred one other person to already. We're actually working with her at the moment, um, potentially with a, an idea of maybe being able to... Before we get into that, okay. let's reflect on, on the conversation. Good point, good point. So um, I think it is, the golden visa seems like a good route for someone who's maybe sort of like in their, say, 40s, 50s, amassed a bit of money, got some property, want to actually move to Spain with no hiccups, no issues, and just dead simple. 
Downside is you're going to need about 600,000 euros, which at the time of recording is probably about 520,000 pounds. Other downside is you're not going to be able to get that from a mortgage in Spain, but you might be able to do it from a mortgage in your home country. That's a possibility. Um, so, that, so that's definitely looking at it. Um, I thought it was really cool. She said the investor visa, don't bother. You might as well just do the golden visa. So really what it comes down, self-employed says no point. Um, the non-lucrative, well, that's fine if you're retired and have no plans whatsoever to work. But as she points out, most people in their 40s and 50s, even if they even if they sold their company and they've got a million pounds, 10 million pounds in the bank, they're going to get bored, aren't they? Mm -hmm. um, so really, the, even the digital nomad visa might not be the best one for you. Um, if, if you're just looking for like a year in Spain, maybe the students one is the best one. Yeah, I mean, I think it's what's definitely clear is is Spain needs another visa option for third country nationals who want to come here and spend their money and contribute to the economy. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's clear another visa is needed. So it's great great news to hear that it's coming. I think as well, even just to give give people an option to stay longer than three months, you can't really get a feel for a place if you're talking about long term move you can't get a feel in three months because three months in spain in the summer is very different to three months in spain in the winter and you know you need you need that you need that time so i think that's what is positive about it and in terms of the golden visa yeah maybe as always we've mentioned before i think on the podcast that property markets abroad aren't always as buoyant as they are in other places like the uk or north america um so be mindful of that if you're putting all your money in it might have to stay there. Mm -hmm. um, although we are getting kind of word from local people in Malaga at the moment that the property market is picking up um, in certain places around here. So I guess it also depends on where you buy, but an interesting option if you've got the cash. Definitely, definitely. Um, and I think that's, what else was quite interesting was hearing that the, um, that you can apply for a student visa whilst you're in the country, whereas the others you can't. Um, so you could potentially come here for three months and if you love it, just apply for a student visa and study and also work and and you can stay for potentially up to I think if she said a year and then you have to renew it might be six months obviously don't take our word for it speak to Jessica yeah go book a go book a call with Jessica um, so are we allowed to talk about our situation yeah yeah so let me take you back listeners to April 2022 when Al and I were sat in our flat in split Croatia chatting about how we were off to Portugal because we needed boots on the ground to see if it was somewhere we wanted to live and work abroad and I think I said something like that on the episode like plot twist I reckon it'll be neither it won't be Portugal and it won't be Croatia where we end up and plot twist it might not I think what we discovered was that we are still technically residents of Spain it's just we've not been here for a little while and we won't disclose exactly how long we've not been here, but we've not been here for a little while. So it's possible that we can just swap our old card for a new card and be Spanish residents. But more importantly, Schengen mm -hmm. residents, which would change everything, listeners. Yeah, so I guess on that note, I mean, it's, it's, we're, we're taking a very realistic stroke pessimistic view of it we fully expect not to be able to renew our residency card given our our current circumstances but we will follow every avenue possible that we can to find that out until somebody official in spain goes no um so yeah so that could be exciting so if you are in a similar situation i guess i'm mainly mainly talking to the brits that would have been affected 
by Brexit, having in you know EU citizenship somewhere, and and then perhaps leaving. If that is you, you might not be too late. Um, get in touch, particularly with somebody like Jessica who is Spain. Uh, likewise, you've got other people like uh, Sarah Dyson in Croatia. Although we think that one is the door closed is on that one now. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, always worth checking. Get in touch with an expert and see. There might be a, a small sliver of hope that that needs pursuing. And also, just ask around. Make sure that none of your family are, um, you know, from Ireland, second yeah. generation Irish, because. Uh, you know, that could be a nice surprise. One generation out. God oh, damn it. No. So <laughs> disappointed. Okay, so if you have a question about this, um, but back to, no, tell you what, this, the, if you want to hear our story or you're in a similar situation with the Spanish re- renewing your visa and you've got any stories, tell us. Uh, just email us sidewayslife at gmail.com. That's a sidewayslife at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to go onto Instagram, you can follow us on Instagram, which is a sideways life. Uh, we are on Facebook. We never go on there because it's who does? Yeah, frankly. exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, and and yeah, if you um if you want to hear, last week we talked about should you store, and we were talking about how we're in the process of getting rid of our storage. Well, that happened today, and my friends, we have a story about Holy how that shit. ended. My word, shit escalated. If you want to hear that, we're not just going to offer that. Get in touch, Instagram, email. Let us know if you want to hear that story. We will tell it next week. Absolutely. So, uh, you already know about our roadmap, which is the roadmap to living and working abroad. Just go to our sidewayslife.com forward slash roadmap. That's our sidewayslife forward slash dash. Let me start that again. Our sidewayslife.com forward slash roadmap. Don't forget the ah. Ah. It's not sideways life. That's that's the... Ah. (laughs) You're taking the piss (laughs) out of it. You say ah in a funny way. Do I? Ah. Sideways life. (laughs) 17. Well, on that note, I think we'll call it day. Right, guys, we'll see you very soon. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.